from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist. Welcome to The Good Atheist Podcast. My name is Jacob Fortan. And I'm Ryan Harkness. Today on the show we're going to be talking about the Vatican and their decision to excommunicate the Mafia. Which at first sounds like it's a pretty great thing, but we're going to talk about what the fuck that's all about in uh, just a moment. But first... We're going to just ease on in and re-welcome back Ryan into sort of like a Just You and Me podcast. It's been a little while, I think. It's been like... When's the last it time has been? You've been, uh, you've been sowing your wild oats with other co-hosts and such? Well, it's true. Although, the, the, technically, as far as the, the, the order of sequences, people have barely noticed because I snuck you in there by including a much older show very recently. So, uh, you know, they didn't miss a beat. Yeah, the three-way with Jeff, right? Exactly, exactly. I, I was worried that one was, was going to be nixed for uh, technical difficulties, because usually when we try to do anything complicated involving, like, you know, more than just one or two microphones, it, it just goes to hell. Truthfully, I probably should have put more work to remaster that sucker, because there were some technical issues, but it's one of those better-than-nothing kind of things, which, I mean, like, otherwise... I don't have the time to rework every single level and make sure that this doesn't work. Like, there's a weird, there's a slight weird echo in your voice that I couldn't get rid of uh, just because the timing kept on changing. I think there was a microscopic, like, fucking delay somewhere and yeah. it just kept messing up. So it was just like, fuck it. Feel, don't feel too bad. Like, I, I've checked out a couple of podcasts recently that are sound like they they were done on CB radios. So you're still you're still much much better than I'd say about eh, seventy or eighty percent of, of the shows that get put out. Yeah, people are still doing in the that I'm going to call you on the phone. Do you know how much data comes from a phone conversation in terms of nuance of sound? Not much. <laughs> Phones are terrible. I actually uh, I really don't like phone calls like uh, the, the quality is just not there and you, it, it feels like it, it feels like things have gotten worse like half the time it, this used to be a Skype thing where you have to be like hello are you there can you hear me can you hear me now you have to do that on a landline and land I don't know what is going on with uh, like I, I imagine everything's being digitized and then re-analogized oh well that's part of the problem actually so if you take the fact that most people who have landlines have in fact uh, IP lines that are masked to look like landlines, but you know, all of a sudden you're doing this weird kind of conversion craziness. But the reason why electronic sound is just now better, because remember when we they had that first switcheroo where if I called someone, there would be that weird <laughs> feedback shit. Yeah. Well, that's gone now because for the most part, the, all these conversations are being handled by the internet rather than by the old school lines because those were just being transferred as crazy old electrical signals in the old school fashion Alexander Graham Bell style that sucks and I don't know better. whatever the new thing is isn't great either because I'll, I'll phone my parents down in the states and 
I'd say about 50% of the time we have to just hang up and try again to see if we'll get a cleaner line next time. Okay, but that problem is because of the economic regionalization of cable companies in the U.S., which is one of those... You know, if they had an actual government that could do anything, they would set up fucking antitrust laws because in the U.S. there are literally places where the cable companies have divvied up the areas of America where you're like, okay, Comcast, you get this and Verizon gets this. It's a fucking complete gong show and now they want to terrorize the internet. So that's fucking great too. Welcome to America, land of the free, everybody. You guys have the best internet in the world compared to Estonia. <laughs> Luckily, even crappy internet can download this show, though. So, yeah, that can still happen. Yeah, bad internet isn't bad, that bad. Yeah, yeah, not that, bad that's what, they're, that's what they're relying on. So long as you can suck your Netflix through a straw without it, without it going down to 240p, I think that's the point where people start to get upset. And why I think Verizon's going to lose, uh, Verizon and Comcast and all the rest, is because they don't seem to realize that when... You know, you have their shitty internet, and you're watching Netflix, and it drops down to that bottom tier of quality. You know, that, that quality that you see usually for three or four seconds when you start watching a TV show, and then it, like, upswings. When it drops back down to that, people get angry. That is a visual representation as you're sitting there enjoying your evening that these companies suck and that they deserve to be taken out. Yeah, and they also don't realize that the popularity of Netflix itself... It's just one of those things where everybody's going to be stupidly catching up too late when they realize that TV's already been dead. It's just something your grandpa watches, and now everybody's just like, I mean, torrenting is dead, too, just because streaming now was the thing that we wanted all along. Yeah, I still torrent, and people uh, people are like, hey, grandpa, hey, grandpa, with your torrents and your, and your files kept on your hard drive, and I'm like, but I like to have a collection. I'm like, it's funny, because that's what people with DVDs used to say, too. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you, you, it's like tapes now. We make fun of you guys. I mean, the solutions haven't been really figured out yet, but the desire, the desire is fucking there, trust me, and the, at the very least, you can give this for the capitalist system. If there's a desire, it will be fulfilled. That is for sure. Whether or not yeah. that's a great thing, yeah, that's a different conversation. Yeah, as to who captures that money, the uh, you know the pirate streaming sites or the actual companies. Uh, usually, it's the pirate streamers because the companies are still trying to act like it's 1999. Well, I, I can I can understand their problem. You see, I'm I'm having a bit of a dilemma with the release of the book, if you will, a kind of electronic existential crisis, <laughs> and it has to do with the way in which the sale of electronic books happens. Okay, so the book is out. That doesn't mean that everything's solved. And somebody could ask me, Jacob, why is it not on Amazon? Well, there's a few reasons. Well, first reasons is because Amazon says that if you distribute electronically, you are not allowed to distribute through anybody else. Uh, and you're just like, what? You're kind of like, yep, we want exclusivity. And, and at first you're like, okay, well, I might be able to deal with that because Amazon owns 50% of the market. But they also don't sell your book. They rent it out. So a person who buys the book really has, you know, they're, they're, Amazon is lending them a copy of it. And so you're kind of like, well, if I take out my book, does it expire their copy? Or do you now have an unlimited rentable copy to these individuals? What the fuck is that about? That's not clear. It's hard to agree with that kind of stuff when it seems to go against... Uh you know, every fiber in your being on how, how sales are supposed to go and how fair 
fair treatment of the end user is supposed to you know be exactly and you know my my producer friend Jason said something kind of funny he's like what is wrong you don't like money you know when trying to make that decision but at the same time you're like well I do like money but there's a whole bunch of things in terms of uh, making an arrangement with the goddamn devil that I still don't quite understand and I'm still reading their contract by the way this is why I'm not rushing to it. I'm trying to understand every aspect of it because some of those aspects are still being debated in court. And you're just like, what the fuck do you do? This is really complicated. It's like, I'm just, now it's like, oh, I released a book, but self-publishing is not an easy thing if you're trying to do it right. So there's a lot of, like for now I've decided that no decision is best and I'm just selling it through the site, which basically means that it's kind of not selling because who visits the site to buy the book? So you're just sort of like, what do you do? It's a big kind of question. There are other options, um, but you know, all of them are kind of sort of like, okay, Amazon, you got 50% of the market, but no iBooks, which is where the best version of the electronic copy is, is in the iBook version. And you're just like, well, I can't, and I can't distribute that if I fucking do a deal with Amazon. And like, I've already pre-sold it, so how does that work? It's just a fucking nightmare. It's, it's seriously a nightmare. It sounds like a good time. Yeah, so uh, uh, Daddy's trying to make the physical version happen as quickly as possible because the electronic, the world of electronic books is really fucked. It's so fucked right now. Well, it isn't fucked. It's just that you have to accept that you're going to get fucked. Uh, everybody gets fucked. Everybody gets a little tiny Amazon dick up their butts. Oh, uh, my God. And, and so long as you accept that that's, that's up there and you're okay with it, then, then it's all well and good. And for the most part... It's kind of like we all just agree that it's okay because it's only very rarely that Amazon decides they're going to delete the book that you bought from their device and you'll never be able to get it again. Okay, but, that's, that, that, but uh, let me give you an example of a kind of internal dilemma about the book itself. You know how we spent some time on the artwork, right? Trying to make it look pretty because these were paying patrons. They fucking put money in it. I'm like, well, I'll make you look like you're in a classic drawing. Okay, well, Amazon, when you're on their Kindle program, they charge you per meg or I'm sorry, per kilobyte of the size of your book. So you get less royalties the bigger your book is. So that means take those images and make them as small as possible or we'll take your money. That's weird. Yeah, it's pretty fucking weird. That's a weird meter to, yeah, you to, start, care, to care about. You start at 70% and then they subtract any of the data transfer fees that supposedly they have to absorb. But aren't e like, you know, two or three megs at most? It depends. Like my the iBook version is 13 megs because the images are in really high def. You can zoom in or whatever, and these are still like each image is still not that significant. But there's 11 illustrations in the book. I know. Not I'm just saying, what's 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 13 megs amongst friends? Like I've seen uh, you know a single pornographic high res image. Not right. that I look at pornography or uh, on on some random sharefrog dot dot Zimbabwe site. And they don't give a fuck. I right, mean, but at 13 megs, I owe Amazon money by their calculations for the fucking download. It's so expensive. Do you understand? That's disturbing. Yeah, it's very disturbing. So you're kind of like, not only do you not get the full price of your book, they already take 30% off the bat. They have this weird thing where, I mean, I managed to make an EPUB version that's smaller because I thought that I was going to still do business with them. But now you're just like, I'm, I feel like I'm fucking... Ripping people off, and of course, if they ask me, "Hey, can I have the iBook version?" No, uh, Amazon doesn't allow me to do that. And God knows what their lawyers would do if they found out that I broke the contract. Give us back all the money. You know what I mean? Like, don't deal with the devil. 
It's the devil, Ryan, and I'm afraid of the devil. Ironic. Yep. Yeah, the devil is Amazon, and it's destroying the publishing industry, so I don't know what to do about them. So, uh, yeah, now I have my hat in the whole publishing thing, and I just thought that all you need to do is write a book. God, I was naive. <laughs> it's always problems where you least expect it, right? Absolutely. I guess that is what naivete is. I mean, it's always horrible to realize just how naive you are about the world in general. Once you scratch at that surface and you realize, man, I don't have, I have limited options here. Oh, well. This is not a show about limited options. That would be boring. <laughs> Instead, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about the Vatican. And uh, they made a fairly, I guess what you could call uh, uh, in their own uh, epistemology, a very significant uh, event occurred. They have excommunicated the Mafia. Are they able to just do that, like an entire group? They don't have to, like, you know, specific names or anything like that? It's just like, this group. No, I'm pretty sure it's going to be specific names, although it could range. I mean, they're, they're, they're not being specific about it in the, in the articles. It's just, it's meant to, as a public relations kind of thing. And on one hand, you can understand where it comes from. So the, the way the press is describing it is that a three-year-old boy who was wounded and burned in a significant portion of his body in a Cosa Nostra fight... Uh, appealed to the Pope in an extremely publicized kind of event, and the Pope said, I'll do something about this, said the official press release. And the thing that he decided to do was, I am going to excommunicate them, because the logic is that many of these guys, uh, you know, they use religion to justify their actions. They're saying, well, we're pious people. So he's saying, well, no, they're, they're, we've decided to say that they're not pious, and that seems like a big decision. And people are applauding. They're going, yay, good job. Now, there's something a little bit um, kind of unspoken about this whole thing. You're kind of like, well, why now? What, what, what is the decision to excommunicate the mafia right now, right? Doesn't this seem kind of strange? Like, where's this, where's this coming from? Uh, I figure it's coming from the same place all of the other uh, amazing Pope news comes from. Uh, it comes from the fact that the last Pope is a gigantic disaster who was basically responsible for all of uh, the cover-ups involving uh, child molestation. So now they've put forward a super Pope who's going to uh, pay lip service to pretty much every good thing that you, you would imagine. You know, he's finally a Pope who's going to say what we wish the Pope would say. Is it going to change anything in the corrupt fucking world of the Vatican? Probably not. But... You know, I think everybody is happy that we have a pope that's not a giant piece of shit. Actually, this, see, this is the, this is what most atheists, atheists in, in the scene probably think, and they are completely wrong about that, unfortunately, because we were looking at this from the wrong angle. And this is what I the whole show is going to be about: changing your perception of what this entire thing means, and changing the perception of how we need to identify the real problems of the Vatican. Now, you could say. Aren't the real problem uh, this cover-up of child molesters, to which I would say, well, that's been going on for thousands of years, and as far as the Vatican is concerned, that ain't no big deal. And that's, how it, that's internally how it's viewed, by the way. That's not the thing that concerns most cardinals. What do you think keeps an archbishop up at night, Ryan? I think they've got such a fucked-up, weird life that we can't even begin to imagine the kind of machinations and, and, and thoughts and ideas. I, I imagine that 
It's kind of like, you know, an eight-year-old that's playing Pokemon. At that time in their life, their entire world is that Pokemon world. And don't talk to them about anything else because it's Pokemon, man. And that's how these people live. They've got this gigantic fantasy world, and they can live in it, and all of their friends are in it, too. And they can do nothing but play Pokemon all day, all the fucking time, and exist in that, and try to catch them all. Okay, well, that's a fine analogy, except for let's replace Pokemon with House of Cards. Okay? <laughs> because imagine that you had a small vassal state, and where everyone in there is a kind of politician, if you will, of this mini-country. So... <laughs> You can't just do what a normal citizen does, which is not care about what the fuck is going on. I mean, you are instantly involved. The moment you walk into this organization and you're in the Vatican, you're part of whatever clique that is, man. And there's a lot we don't know about that clique. How do you survive there? What kind of groups like the Jesuits versus the fucking, you know, uh, uh, what the fuck, Opus Days and all the little subgroups that exist. I mean, you and I know that in any clique, be it a high school, whatever, there are subgroups. There's shit going down. It's not like it's some coherent fucking New World Order-like thing that is totally well-organized. Are you kidding me? I mean, as, we, as we're going to go through and we're going to uncover some of the drama that's been going on, I think you're going to see clearly that it just plays out kind of like a House of Cards show. It would make a really compelling book or TV show, by the way. You know, the, the, the real-life stuff that really happens. If only you could get that data, right? If only they would open up that shit. But we'll, we'll, we'll open up with what we can officially declare is real stuff. There will be some speculation, though. I will, I will admit to this, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. Who knows what, uh, what parts are true and what parts are like lies upon lies upon lies. Right, exactly. And even from our side, I mean, I've, I've been trying to research this. There'll be notes in the show. This one will actually be heavily noted because I'm sure I'm going to go back and even say that there need to be corrections. But I've got some fucking stuff to back me up here, so I'm not going to just be talking out of my ass. But let's start with, let's go back a few years. Let's go to 2000 and, uh, when did the last Pope uh, leave? Was it in 2000? Let me just check. 2000, uh, March, let's go back to March of 2013, right when there are about to announce a new pope, and this is all catching us by surprise because at the time we were talking about Radzinger, or that current pope, and his involvement with trying to cover up child abuse. If you recall, we did a show on that, the doctrine of the covenant of the faith, and that whole letter that he says, if you talk, you're going to be excommunicated. That was a big deal to us, right? You remember yeah. that? Okay. I mean, I, does it get any more smoking gun than uh, the current pope uh, running the division that takes care of child molestation and the fact that everything that he did was to bury it and not deal with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And to sentence, I mean, last show we talked about how they identified a few thousand priests and they sentenced them to basically uh, go pray. But that, again, I want you to ignore that. As difficult as that is, it's so easy to be lost in that outrage that you're forgetting what is really driving the world. It is not the fucking torture and rape of children that makes the world fucking turn. It is money. So we must pay attention to the fucking things about money because understand this about the Catholic Church and the Vatican in particular. This is the most powerful and wealthy organization in the world many times over. Many, many times. I'm going to put this in perspective. I was trying to figure out, hey, what is the Catholic Church actually worth in total? Which you'll never get an answer from anywhere because that's the last thing anybody wants you to know. But to put things in perspective, the real estate holdings alone, the valuation of all of that and of their assets in the United States is more than the five of its largest corporations combined. Just in the United States. 
Okay. So let's get some perspective on the size of this organization, how big it is. So now we've absorbed. Okay, they're really big. They're bigger than anything that's ever existed in the history of mankind big in terms of money. No one can touch them. No one. I mean, name me somebody that can even come close. Name me. One organization. And if you're going to say the United States of America, you can't just say, well, it's got a whole bunch of money and it can spend it all. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, well, no. it has the ability to affect, to affect change. Uh, you know, there, there, there's, there's money which creates power, and then there, there's power uh, like, a, like a government wields. Sure. As a single organization that is not a government, okay, it is the most wealthy, and it probably rivals most governments in terms of its wealth. I would say, actually, here's, here's what I would say. If we were forced, let's say every country in the world where the church owns land, like let's say the Oratoire Saint-Joseph in Montreal, how much do you think that's worth? Just that piece of real estate if you have to buy it. Uh, even with all the hobos crawling all over it nowadays, I'd say it's still probably worth uh, double-digit million dollars, like triple 20, digits. 30 million. No, triple digits million dollars. Million? Probably more. Probably more. Uh, you just have to understand that it's not just the value of the land around, which is massive, uh, but it's also just the, the value of, of the building itself. Of right? it just being a castle, a magical, yeah. amazing castle with some of, uh, you know, that uh, pretty much a large percentage of all the greatest artisans and crafters that came through Montreal went and worked on it and did stuff in it. It's and all just in there. And it's prime real estate in Montreal. It is prime. It's like you could build so much there. I mean, it's one of the most gorgeous views in the entire city. Apparently it goes on like uh, you know the whole underground mall that uh, that exists. Apparently there's a decent amount of undergroundness to that uh, cathedral as well. Well, you have to understand that. Okay, just the gift shop alone makes twenty million dollars a year. Okay, and it receives twenty-five million dollars in subsidies from tax grants for its for paying like whatever rent and shit. So. Okay, that's one fucking building, okay? And you've seen that they have multiple churches and then throughout the world. So if we have to if we have to pay, if the world had to buy that, I don't think we can afford to pay them the value of that money. I think that there's not enough money in the world to actually pay off the Catholic Church and how much money it has. So I would venture to say that it is actually more wealthy at the end of the day than any nation. And you just have to understand that about this weird organization that's run by just a few thousand individuals. It's pretty fucked. When you really think about it, right? <laughs> it's, it's messed, but you know, global uh, global financial situation always is pretty messed when you think about it. Well, the th okay, so let's so we were talking about going back. So let's talk about Ratzinger, and there's you know that scandal that that you know with the kids and whatever, and that was a pretty big deal. But what had really happened around there was that his butler uh, leaked information to uh, an Italian journalist who published a paper about it, and it was a huge deal in Italy. Over here, it didn't make much of a fucking wave. We talked about it on the show, actually, but we didn't do much more than mention that the fact that the butler was facing 18 months in jail for leaking documents, and that somehow the Vatican was going to decide whether or not he was guilty. <laughs> Sounds fair. <laughs> I'm, sure they, I'm sure they have a great legal system over there. But the reason what he had shown, like the papers that he had given, were, was essentially a report from a archbishop that had been commissioned to investigate the Vatican Bank because there had been the Vatican Bank is probably one of the most uh, controversial financial institutions in the world and the reason why it's controversial probably dates back to its origins in 1942 which sounds like a conspicuous year to start a financial institution because you're trying to avoid banking regulations 
Now, why would you want to do that <laughs> during wartime? Right? Okay, so what, what, did the, what does the Vatican Bank have in their bank account? Well, it, at the time, in 1942, what was going on in Yugoslavia was that many Orthodox Christians, about 750,000 of them, were being rounded up in uh, ex extermination camps, and their goods were being taken. The stuff that, you know, when we talk about Holocaust, we only think it happened to the Jews. There were 60,000 Jews in Yugoslavia, but 750,000 Orthodox Christians that were murdered. So it wasn't just Jews, everybody. <laughs> So lots, it was a religious conflict in that part of the world. And so all their goods were taken. And they were put in various uh, holdings. And Because basically the Vatican Bank declares that it can hold on to anything that has a pious purpose. So question mark what the fuck that means. Hey, I have, a, I have this uh, oh, Nazi gold. Um, I think I can find some <laughs> pious purpose for it. You want to hold on to it so that no one can see uh, what you're holding because you have complete privacy? Yeah, this is where, uh, you know, there, there's all that fame about the, uh, the Swiss bank accounts, the secret Swiss bank accounts, but uh, the Vatican really has them beat. Well, they're in Switzerland, many of these holdings, because the thing is the Vatican doesn't keep all of these weirdo, I'll call them treasures, because many of them could be artwork that had been stolen from Yugoslavian families and who knows what. Who knows what? That is literally all I can say about it. Um, but it's, it's held in, 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 in these Swiss banks away from where they are because most it can't possibly service its 18,000, or sorry, almost 19,000 clients from Rome. This is a massive financial institution, which is not really a bank, by the way. It's, it's, it's a misnomer to call it a bank because it's actually kind of like a, it considers itself a charitable organization. It, it has a charitable organization name, in fact. So it's called the Institute for the Works of Religion. This, they say that what all the money and everything is for the their pious work. Whatever the fuck that means. It means they're dodging all bank regulations by calling it not a bank. Well, they are, but I mean, 18,000, do you think that these are all Catholic priests? I mean, their clients are people from all over the world. Let, let's say you're an evil dictator and you've got something that you don't want anybody to know about. Or you're a really rich banker who's close to an archbishop in Boston and you're like, I've got all this money or all this stuff that I, or this very valuable painting that I don't want to be taxed on. Why don't I keep it in your bank so that nobody knows about it? And then once I sell it, you'll get a percentage of it and I'll never need to pay taxes on it because the sale will be done through you. That's pretty sweet. Sweet deal. And in fact, you know, like that sounds like money laundering, right? Well, um, you see, in the 1980s, the Vatican Bank was involved in a huge scandal. And the scandal was basically that this Italian bank that had been started by a really Catholic guy who decided, we need a pious bank that's unlike all these secular banks in Italy and their horrible secular ways. <laughs> and they're like, this will be God's bank. So, you know, they set up God's bank and... What they started to do was essentially launder money from mobsters and put them into accounts so that you know, nobody would know where the money was going. So you couldn't trace it. Because what do you do with like $50 million of mob money? Put it under your mattress? I don't think so. So essentially all, what happened is that this bank was taking out all these loans and laundering all this money, but its, it's kind of accounts didn't really match up. And at one point it was like, okay, well, you're missing $1.3 billion. 
uh, that they had started to siphon out when they realized that the books weren't going to make it. So they put them in these secret accounts. Nobody knows what the fuck happened to it. And the Vatican was forced to pay $200 million because they were the primary shareholder, but they denied any responsibility in what had happened. Obviously, we're not involved, even though the guy who runs it is a close friend of one of the archbishops who just happens to be on the committee for the Vatican Bank. There's no, there's nothing in proprietors going on here. Nothing to see here, right? Friendship isn't illegal, Jacob. No, it's true, but you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be careful about who your friends are because the guy who ran the bank, this guy by the name of Roberto Calvi, when, when the police raided an illegal Masonic lodge uh, in Italy, because I guess Masonic lodges, temples are illegal there. Uh, when they raided the lodge, they found all this incriminating evidence about all of these money laundering, and it fingered him. So, with the help of some of his uh, religious buddies, he secured a passport, and while he was on his way fleeing, I believe it was in London, maybe, he was found suicided underneath the bridge with $15,000 of money on him and, you know, some obvious smelling foul play. And the reason was because, well, you know, there was danger that he might out people who were involved. Jeez. Who, who, whoever could that be? <laughs> this is where you're talking about it getting kind of Dan Brownie, right? A little bit. I mean, uh, obviously, there, it's not just the fact that there were religious individuals, but people, members of the Casa Nostra. And there have been in individuals that are being, even in, in 2003, they were being potentially indicted on his murder, like going back that far although I haven't found any recent news on it. But let's also just be honest by the fact that, you know, you don't pay $200 million and, you know, in order to shut the thing up and then can claim that there's no culpability there. I mean, and just to give you a recent example, 2012, just before, like, all of this stuff really happened with Ratzinger, there was a huge, there was a huge money laundering scam of $25 million with one of their archbishops who had been, you know, laundering money uh, away. And again, it's kind of like Ratzinger's own... See, the thing that really indicted Ratzinger, the reason why he's a pope but not a fucking pope, is that when the guy that he assigned, Bertone, I think, Cardinal Bertone, Archbishop Bertone, excuse me, he, he found, he was trying to, you know, maybe earnestly uncover what the fuck was going on with all this Vatican money bullshit, and then he, he was like, he wrote a report that said, geez, as I was trying to investigate this and everyone's blocking me. I can't get anything done. He reports this to Ratzinger, who basically just squirrels it away and tries to ignore it. But the fucking butler can't ignore it, because I guess he read it. And then he, that's what he released. So Ratzinger had to fucking step the fuck down because of this financial scandal. And because now it was like obvious that there needed to be reformation in the Vatican Bank. Which brings us to, to, to now, which... The, the, with the Pope being like, I excommunicate all of these people because that is literally the least he could do. Because in April of this year, after he had made promises of reforming the bank, he came out and said that the, uh, the Institute for the Works of Religion is a very important institute and that he's going to change absolutely nothing about what's happening. That was, la that was a few months ago. So now the excommunication thing seems like just, like I said the least anyone can do in order to be able to throw the scent of the financial fucking scandal off and divert attention away from the fact that they basically said, we ain't doing shit. Well, I've read that 
they're kind of trying to line things back up with with you know a normal banking system because at this point in time uh, things are so corrupt that they're not even allowed to play outside of their own little walled garden now. So they've started to like go through and close down the most obvious of the fraudulent ones. No criminal charges pressed, of course. Just uh, you know, just take your money and and go. Thanks for doing business, but uh, you know, people are starting to pay attention. So you know, squirrel it away somewhere else. Put it on one of those. Uh, put it in Cyprus, or uh, you know, take it take it to one of those uh, those other countries where the banking system is uh, broken on purpose. <laughs> Take to other dens of corruption. Yeah, exactly. Can. It's like this den, uh, this den, the good times are over. You're going to have to go somewhere else now. Well, it, it's it's just kind of one of those things where there's there's plenty of shelters. And like I said, I mean, the, they are so rich. They own billions of dollars worth of just gold. And gold, by the way, that, again, some of it is probably a very, very questionable like, there's no way that there's none of it that's not Nazi gold. There's absolutely zero fucking way. Like I told you, the Catholic Church was complicit in the fucking Holocaust in Yugoslavia. They, made, they lined up their pockets with the wealth of the people they killed because they were Orthodox Christians. And if you know anything about history and about religion is that they've always been fighting and trying to kill one another. And when as soon as you can get a good fucking excuse to do it, fuck you, do it. You know what I mean? This is how it is. Will it ever change? Uh, well, I suppose it does change over time. Slowly, painfully. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're, you know, one mass catastrophic banking uh, incident away from maybe changing something properly this time. Maybe. Oh, man, that's... You're enthusiastic. Yeah, that's, I'm, uh, just re I'm just realistic. I'm, I'm realistic because uh, it's kind of like what you were saying before. Uh, who is the richest organization in the world, and how are you supposed to tell them that they can't do things the way that they want to do it? Well, there's also the problem of the, you know, the Holy See, which is a sub-government. You know, it, it doesn't really have a legal standing per se. In the UN, they're an observer, whatever the fuck that means. They're not a country. They're definitely not a country, but they're recognized. Not every country, by the way, recognizes them, but they are recognized by most countries in the UN. As what, though? I mean, like, what the fuck are they but these, this weird grouping of men living in this ginormous castle filled with the world's treasures? And you're just like, well, at least the West's treasures. And you're kind of like, um, these guys are really messed up. I mean, you realize that up until 1870, they still had a fucking army? <laughs> they had an army. They had to disband it. That's the age of the army. That was when armies were armies seemed like a quote unquote good idea. Nowadays, not so much because if you have an army, you're tempted to use it, and then uh, nothing good ever comes of that. Well, I was trying to do research on like okay, so there was a bit of an irony that I'm not sure if I was going to mention because it seemed like it was so far out. But the 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 thing I always loved about the Catholic Church is that there there were always, or maybe even it's the world, is that we can just be so historically blind and that we can just not give a shit. Like, for example, in France, in I think it was the 15th century, there was, or 16th century, there was the French uh, religious wars, basically where the Protestants and the Catholics were fighting. And it was pretty fucking serious. I mean, there weren't as many Protestants. I think they, there was maybe a million Huguenots. Huguenots is what they call themselves. Uh, but there was a lot, you know, there was basically fighting back and forth. You know, the France basically declaring itself a Catholic country. And then at one point, they had these various treaties. One treaty being like, okay, you can live here, and we're going to show you tolerance, which is like, 
a rare example of when we start seeing, you know, religious toleration comes from, you know, the French religious wars where all of a sudden they're like, well, we can't keep killing each other, so let's try to find compromises. But like all things, it kind of, one fucking amendment cancels another and then they try to fucking bring it back. And then all of a sudden, basically all the Huguenots take off and some of them go to Switzerland. And those guys start some banks. And the traditions that were basically inherited from those proclamations that the Catholic Church fought so hard basically allowed them to create the very financial institution that is the Vatican Bank. You could trace it back to that. <laughs> so they're, they're utilizing the very system that they fought to, uh, you know, not have. It's great the way the world history works, though, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's always interesting. Uh, I always say that uh, if you want to understand what's going on right now, just uh, just check out some history stuff. We, we've been there before. Uh, Hardcore History uh, is a great podcast for, for that. It's, uh, it's better than reading the newspaper because you, uh, you hear how everything went down in like the, the 60s, and, and you're just like, man. Same shit. Yeah. Oh, it's not even just the, the, the 60s. I found a rare treasure the other day. It was a book from 1920. And it was basically a satire book on social etiquette, right? Written as though it was kind of like a straight-up book. It was, it was a parody of another book. And when you're reading, I mean, the jokes are just as contemporary as they are now. I mean, written slightly different. But they're just as funny. It's like, what to do if your maid's dog bites you? You know, how to answer this weird new invention called the telephone. <laughs> and, and when you read it and you, just, you see the humor, you're like, this is no different. This is 100 years ago, practically. And... It's not different. And all the things that you think are really progressive, you know, all the kind of like everybody's partying and everybody's like, well, yeah, 1920s, not that different. Yeah. It's just the, were you there? Do you remember what the fuck the climate was like? No. Historically blind, congratulations, that's what you are. Monkey. <laughs> Historical blindness. But hey, you know what we have? We have a cool invention called the internet. You don't have to be historically blind. Yeah, I feel like Wikipedia is helping a lot of us. Well, some more than others. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I read this hilarious thing where somebody on Tumblr was talking about how we are the intellectual elite of society, and the, the other person was like, you're on Tumblr, buddy. But I'm like, you know, there's a certain truth to the idea that anybody that's basically sitting in front of a computer for like three or four hours a day just ingesting knowledge, that is an intellectual elite level. I mean, before, no one knew what the fuck was going on a town over, and now we're super saturated in everything that's going on in society, much of it being noise and garbage, Brave New World style, but we're still taking in way more information than anybody else at any other point in history and time. And if you're not just, you know, uh, some slack-jawed yokel that spends more time sitting out on his front patio than, than in front of the computer ingesting information, then you are kind of the intellectual elite. Now, that doesn't put the intellectual elite up on a very high pedestal, but, you know, you still have to acknowledge that it's better than it used to be. Uh, yeah, no, I guess. But the one thing um, that's sort of been bothering me recently, and, and I suppose it's, it's also been a bit of a stumbling block for recording podcasts, is I just feel as the more the, the Internet matures, the more it seems like every, every, I'm just overwhelmed with everyone's useless fucking opinions. Just that it, it kind of all comes at you. Everybody's got one. And, we, and I, I suppose there's that perception that all opinions are equal somehow. And that we just need to listen to everybody. And I'm kind of, I'm a little bit sick of everyone's goddamn opinion. And that's ironic coming from me having the show be like, I'm even sick of my own opinion. 
the fuck are you supposed to do about that shit? Well, there's just a certain point where you where you come to the realization that I'm just I'm just some other guy. I'm just another person. And what? Uh, why should you be listening to us? That was something I struggled with uh, quite a bit. Whenever I would meet a good atheist fan who was a fucking doctor or a scientist or an astronaut. Lots of people at NASA listening to the show. I <laughs> mean, lots of people. We don't lots have anybody at yes. NASA. Yes, lots of, lots of people who work at NASA. There's I'm not, not talking lots. about like being in space or anything. I obviously I'm... know that, you silly Bill. There's nobody at NASA. Anybody who was at NASA messaged me. Ryan's a liar. I've got Facebook friends who added me who uh, who were from who work for NASA. Yeah, but it could be one of those just sort of like general atheist people who are just you know kind of just getting into other people's networks. I've noticed that not everybody on my feed knows who the fuck I am. Nah, maybe not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they yeah. became your fan back in two thousand and seven. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, we yeah. do have a detrition rate. It's Thankfully, not altogether that high. I mean, it goes back to what you were saying. Why the fuck should anyone listen to me? And you know what my best answer is? I'm like, well, my opinion may not be different from yours or even better. The only thing that I can claim is that I can present it in a more entertaining way. That's all I can claim. And if that's something, well, geez. It'll keep me from, uh, you know, not getting out of bed. Yeah, I... Uh I, I've come to appreciate the fact that I can I can say I can paint a picture with my words. Yes, that's right. You're a writer, Ryan. D take it in, man. You, one does not necessarily need to write a book to be a writer. You can oh, just so yeah, yeah. Just remind now. Is that how it's going to be, Ryan? Just because you haven't written a book like I have, doesn't mean you're not as much of a writer as I am. I a writer, you not, sir? Mm -hmm. I was just trying to do it to plug my book so that people would buy it. But if you're going to read it like that, I, there might be some issues, man. Is there something going on here? <laughs> no, it's all good. I'm proud that you slayed that dragon. Thank you. And uh, slayed it before I did. I, you know what? Honestly, the amount of words that, that come out of you, I was surprised that I was actually the one to, to write it first. But only because I think that you suffer from much more of a crippling, I can't release this until it's ready, than me. You know? Well, I mean, it, it goes into, it's, it's the exact same thing. It's an extension of what we're talking about, just the idea of who am I with my opinion to say things and think anybody should give a damn. I think we're, we're all suffering from opinion fatigue to a certain degree. Uh, I imagine there was a time back in the 70s or 80s when Meet the Press was something that was important and the pundits that went on it were actual people with opinions that mattered. Now you just have a pundit class and you just grab your uh, whichever guy is available for your 6 a.m. slot on your terrible TV show and he just talks shit about uh, Iraq or whatever that he, doesn't, he has no idea about anything about. And that's just the way it is. Like uh, it's somebody out there writing 30 things about Indiana Jones that you didn't know and that's considered like a, an, a valid piece of fucking writing. It, it's cheapened. It's cheapened all discourse across the internet, and I've seen it. There, there, was a, there was a point when everybody learned about the concept of, like, clickbait we've known about, you know, insider, it's been insider baseball for us for a while, but then I feel like there was a point where it crossed over and everybody kind of realized, this is just clickbait shit. This is just content that's being made for the sake of, of being made, uh, for the sake of uh, clicks and uh, internet advertisements. The content is no longer... You know, the medium, uh, the content is no longer the important thing. Uh, the important thing is the commerce surrounding it. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. At the same time, I, I've been reading a lot of articles that have been saying, you know, suggesting that people are, um, like that oversaturation has kind of made people kind of go back a little bit and mine things that have already been 
done. And I think we have this sort of element whenever things become a bit noisy. You know, it'll only happen for so long. I mean, we're as a species, that's just what we do. We need change. We cannot have stagnation. So as soon as something feels like it's stagnant, it's just about to change. It's just that you can't see that change yet from where you're sitting. So what I think is going to change, at least in that sense, is that the really the most important thing that you can do, even as a content producer or whatever, is that you've got to produce things that in 10 years will still have value. You know, this is why I fucking obsess about every show that I make. Because in 10 years, I want to listen back to the show and be like, ooh, facts. That was fun. I learned something that I had actually forgotten or something. Maybe that's a selfish thing on my part. I don't really remember everything I say. <laughs> but hell, I can have a fucking audio recording where I put some work in, and all of a sudden it's like I have like 300, well, maybe they're not all that well-researched. Let's go maybe the 60 great uh, you know, essays on various things that are still useful. And that Oh, God, that valuable. would be an amazing clickbait. I would actually, that, that sounds, I wish it was that highbrow, sir. Well, but that, that's also in the, the sense that, I mean, that, that content, think about our content, right? the stuff that we have. Because we have some good, fun shows. We have some shows where it was just like the fucking research, whatever, is really tight. And then we have just, you know, super dicking around shows. Okay? We got those three variety. That sounds fair? Like the yeah. bouncing right? Okay. So, you know, after 330 shows, I don't know if we can just divide it right around the third mark. But if I was to say we'll take every single one of the best ones... And we'll take all the data that gives you all the, you know, facts to it so that you don't have to, like, you know, I'm just going to prove to you that what I'm saying is not full of shit and it's valuable. Are you saying that, that that's kind of like what you want? Is that what you want? I mean, because I think that sounds attractive, but nobody really wants that. It sounds great, but in practice, nobody uses it because you're just going to go to the clickbait. Even you do it. You probably go to the clickbait. Sometimes. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I justify it being like, I'm just trying to see what people are up to now because I'm in the, the whole industry. But that could be just a bunch of bullshit I'm trying to convince myself of. I well, we all just, just want to believe that what we're doing is somewhat authentic. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's, there's a point just last month where I got over a, uh, a non-compete and I was ready to go out and write for a whole bunch of other people. And then I realized I don't want to write what they're willing to pay me for because it's terrible. <laughs> And I struggle with that all the time. I'm a writer. I write for a living. Uh, and the only people paying money are the ones that want clickbait. So where do you find that middle ground? You try to create clickbait, you know, clickbait format stuff that at the very least is still authentic. It's still something, uh, it's still quality. It's still good within, within the shitty format that currently exists right now that is popular. Well, you know, but as we get older, we become more fogies and we just like... Everything sucks back in my day. <laughs> we well, just don't want to say be that. You can't say that it was, I mean, it was more authentic back in the day, back before there were business models to it, back before every single person wanted to become an internet personality. It, it happened to us kind of accidentally that we just ended up being popular. Other people worked their asses off trying to build up Twitter followers and do this and do this, and we kind of fell ass backwards into that. Well, it was just be, I mean, one person could say it's just because of the date that we started also and just the fact that we just keep doing it. But that would cheapen what we do, and I can't <laughs> guarantee that that's the reason why anybody would keep listening. I mean, we can't – here's the problem, too, about the Internet. We keep thinking that people are dummies. You know, that if you, do, if you don't put – you can just put bullshit content and the people will keep coming back. But you can't fool people all the time. You can fool them just some of the time. Abraham Lincoln, I think, said that. But the point being that – 
you know, like even all the times where I've said really stupid shit on my podcast about, you know, because I've never really fully understood my own fan base and the way they look at me. And many times I've said some completely stupid things because I just assumed that they were just numbers because that's all I could see. But they're not numbers. Each one is a fucking individual who'd made a choice. And it doesn't, if you release something and it's read by three people, well, who are those three people? That for me is the more important question to whether or not a thousand fucking spam bots saw your stupid article. I mean, yeah, or a thousand people accidentally went onto your site for three seconds because uh, it's a Google search result. Yeah, well, you know, the one thing that I guess, when I did the, the telethon, there was a few things that I learned. A I mean, uh, about the way that how uh, the, the stratification of how people pay attention, right? How, how many how many people pay attention to something that lasts twelve hours? Well, it turns out that there weren't. I mean, there weren't many, but there were some people that watched all twelve hours of it, all of it. And you just kind of like, you know, you're, that's not registering in your brain. That somebody's making a conscious decision for that. For you, it's just a stupid-ass number. And it's like that for fucking advertising companies. They see numbers. They think a 1,000 views is worth something. Well, let me tell you something. Who views it is much more important than how many fucking views you get. And if you take that for granted, or you just suddenly keep trying to play for the numbers, I think that in the long term, you're doing yourself a giant disservice. Because uh, as the noise increase in any system... Um, Everything starts to fucking become blurred, except for the stuff that really shines through. You got to be the shit that shines through, man. That's how. It is. That's what I think. I mean, that's the long-term game, man. Yeah, the value in our, in my old website, was in the idea that it wasn't so much the number of people that came to the site; it was the fact that all of them stayed for over three minutes. Yep. And that's apparently like unheard of in statistics. It's unheard of to the point where Google's like, "You guys are obviously frauds. You're not getting any money." Yeah, and it's, yeah, they thought it was just sort of bots crawling, but it was people just, you know, getting involved. And because we had started the social network in what year? 2008 or something fucking crazy? Something like that. Yeah, maybe even before, because I had to have a job if we would have uh, afforded that system. Probably 2007, I guess. I mean, we tried to incorporate for like a whole year before we dropped it. <laughs> oh, the various internet fucking experiments we've done throughout the years. The schemes. The schemes. We've seen it all, Ryan. We've seen it all. And the conclusion is that it's just still just as fucking balls hard as it's ever been. It's nuts. You'd think it'd get easier with experience and age. But the internet gets tougher. I used to be with it, and then they changed what it was. Now what it is is scary, and I don't understand it. Yeah, you know, the weird thing about the internet is it's kind of like a microcosm universe where instead of things happening over the span of days or months, it happens in nanoseconds. The fucking business model that worked one year doesn't work anymore. And you're just like, what happened? The internet happened, bitch. <laughs> Get used to it. Oh, man. Or changing attitudes in, in people's personal opinions on what atheism means to themselves. A very important one, I'd like to think. Because, uh, you know, atheism atheism just recently had its hot shit phase. Uh, where, you know, we were talking about all these new exciting celebrities that were pushing it. And we had a, a default subreddit for atheism. And, uh, and it finally seemed like atheism was something that was getting pushed to the forefront. And we were going to tackle religion and be a more rational society. And now we're living in the era of the big pushback, where even people, friends, tons, like half the half the quote-unquote atheists that I know won't even self-identify as atheists because the the well is being poisoned. You know what I mean? There, there's such a negative attitude towards 
uh, that recent expression of atheism, this pushback has completely changed the scene and changed what atheists want from atheist content. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and this is kind of like, that's been the struggle of trying to identify how do you move forward with the show, right? We don't always want to be the exact same, but we also identify that there's certain things about the show that people need. And I, you know, they, I, I don't know if I have a full list of what they are. I'll just go kind of pull them out of my brain. I know that for one, I, I received probably countless emails about people who were saying, your show was the only thing keeping me sane in a place that's overwhelmingly religious. I think that was a big part at the beginning, you know, where people were feeling isolated. They just didn't know that there were other people like them that existed. Is that still true today? Is, is a person listening to the show because of that? I don't know. I mean, maybe. I mean, but I don't think that that's kind of like the primary desire anymore. I think if you're going to be introduced to the show, what is the reason why you want to fucking listen? There's tons of other motherfucking content out there like we discussed. What is the reason to start listening to this show? He says, luckily near the end. <laughs> <laughs> See? Getting smarter. Getting a lot smarter. You hide it at the end because by now nobody's listening. They're just about to get home. They need to pee real bad or something or they're about to get to work and they're miserable. It's like one of the two. Mm. So, I mean, like, they're, uh, they're already... We could talk about anything. Boils well, on our I, asses I or whatever. Nobody. I do like how we uh, deal with the religion first and then we get meta. We give people a choice, uh, you know, if they want to listen to the to our rants about uh, our business things. Well, I, you know, I know that... The meta part that we discuss, you know, I don't know if it's entirely meta. It is it very involved with what the internet is. But at the same time, I mean, like, you kind of have to understand the internet to understand atheism. Because without the internet, you know, atheism would be a fraction of what it is. Not even a fraction, a, a tiny fraction of a fraction. I don't think most of us realize how tenuous that link really is and that the internet is almost all of it. I, I think we need to change that. I think we definitely need the physical components of it. But... I mean, let's let's recognize what the internet is and be a little bit of its bitch, you know. Realize that uh, we got to play by its rules sometimes, man. The internet giveth and it taketh away. It taketh away. I mean, like, if an example is if you understand the internet better, and you're able to get a better page view and able to reach out to someone else, I would argue that that's worth it, right? From a from a even a, from a moral standpoint, if you're saying I'm trying to do something, trying to emancipate people from their fucking dogma. There is a good incentive for you to understand that medium in which has helped us so fucking much. Speaking from like someone who, you know, is trying to still make his living at it. <laughs> which, uh, you know, did I mention that the book is out? Available on, on uh, thegoodatheist.net. $10 for the ebook, and you can choose from a variety of versions from the iBook to the ePub to the Moby. So we're happy about that. And you can just read it, and I think that you'll love it. I mean, the response for it is uh, quite amazing. I just haven't written any of the people's reviews for it because it all seems a little bit too flattering. Yeah, it almost seems ridiculous. I'm just waiting for a negative review. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll post that one. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I mean, you know, it takes time. It's a whole book, right? People are still reading it. Well, let's uh, – I just want to – I want to – here, here's the here's the whole thing about about books that that no one really tells you is uh, is that it's not just about when it comes out. Uh, books are a slow burn that build up. It's kind of like uh, you know you know that uh, musician Lord, that seventeen year old girl I from always, New yeah, Zealand. I always pronounce her Lordy because of the way that it's spelled. <laughs> yeah, Lordy. No, it, it's it's Lord. <laughs> All right. But uh, her her music that that album the first EP that she did came out like 
two years before anybody gave a shit about her and it just kind of slowly grew and slowly grew and that's the beautiful thing about a book is that it's the same kind of thing is that you put it out and then it, it, it's like a it's like a, a, a snowflake at the top of a mountain that slowly rolls down into a giant boulder and uh, you know if if this week you're not talking about the reviews well next month there's gonna be more and then next year and uh, you know next thing you know when it's finally on Amazon because you've accepted that you're gonna let Amazon you know put its dick up your butt uh, then uh, then there's gonna be hundreds of reviews on Amazon and it's gonna be there forever it's part of the net we'll see the beautiful we'll see. net that connects everything where everything lives forever that book is done it is data and that data is out now which is kind of amazing to me well not amazing to me like in a, like I'm amazing that it happened I'm just amazed that uh, it's like a child is born. Oh, the amazingness of it all. Right, and, and kind of like when a child is born, you're still trying to wrap your head about what the fuck just happened. Because, you know, the, the cool thing about a, 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 you know, be it a book or let's say a child, which I guess we're, we're equating now, is the fact that it's just, you know, as you, said, as you mentioned before, it now is taking its place in this whole little journey, this whole relativistic journey that we're all on. Uh, all just absorbing time at a specific frequency. And now, for as long as I guess I'm conscious and aware of that relativistic time frame, uh, I'll be enjoying whatever the weird consequences of that are, this new book. And trying my best to now make some very creative attempts to promote it, which is, I guess, my next... For my next act, <laughs> what shall you do, Jacob? And, it's, yeah. and I'm like, well... I still have a lot of trouble figuring out how to distribute the ebook version, which is why I said I'm trying to focus on something that's a little bit more physical. And part of that, you know, you mentioned the, 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 the culture of atheism being a bit of a turnoff to some people. And part of the reason is also that the culture just is a little bit too intellectual for its own good at times. Can we just say that? A little bit too stuffy in the shirt? I think it'd be a little bit too aggressive as well. Yeah, well, there is that, there is that aspect, there is that element. But even when it's aggressive, I think that, it, you know, you can be, if you're using humor, for instance, you can be unbelievably aggressive, more so than you can possibly imagine. But uh, we, we're a little bit lacking in the humor department, which is probably where we come in. <laughs> Why is it going to be successful? Because we do dick and fart jokes. It's, a, it's the crux of it. But well, yeah. we do them well, classily. Let's See, that's why the NASA scientists are okay with us. <laughs> right, exactly. When you're it's like, uh, their, their facts might not always compute, but damn them fart jokes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you're assembling some kind of crazy rocket, you know, you need a little bit of light fart joke humor to uh, ease the tension. You don't need to be learning about anything. It could confuse your brain and uh, result in all kinds of disasters. By the way, I, don't, I didn't jinx anything because that's a no such thing. <laughs> but, you know... Uh, I, s I guess that the, the, the show that I wanted to do, like for me, I'm like, well, I got to do a book tour. That makes sense. And everybody's been kind of asking me about it because I did hint about it. And I've been thinking about, well, what the hell does a book tour mean? Like, what does, wh when you think of a book tour, man, wh wh what is it? have you ever actually been to a book tour? Have you ever actually seen a person do a book tour, Ryan? I've gone to a bookstore and seen sad, lonely people sitting at a table with the book that nobody knows, kind of just sitting there. Oh, really? I've seen that. Oh. I've seen that form of book tour. Okay, see? That I want to avoid. That is not uh, cool. We'll avoid that at all costs. The humiliation. <laughs> no, no, no. I have, I have a very different idea, and I guess part of that idea is, has nothing to do with atheism in general, and I think that's what's good about it. 
Sometimes you just gotta think outside the little prism we've made. So for me, a book tour, it's gotta be more like, you know, jazzed up. And I don't, I mean that literally, like I have decided that I'm gonna do a show and I've hired a, a jazz like band, you know, from like, that can do 50s and 60s like uh, rockabilly style, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, getting musical guests, because here's the thing, in Montreal, man, you're not at a want for artists. It is just like, there's just, you throw a stone and you'll, you'll kill two of them. It's just nuts, and they're all really good. So, which means that they're cheap as shit. <laughs> Love the city. So, I'm actually, I have a band, uh, now I'm working on the venue, and basically what I'm doing is a, is a show, like a show with music and singing and, and interviews, uh, and then I'll do a, a reading from the book, and it's a very special kind of reading. I, I mean, I don't want to give away the bag, because I'm recording this shit, and then this is going to be what I put out there as a kind of like, okay, this is a campaign that I'm launching, a kind of Kickstarter campaign, to, to see how much money we can raise to do the tour. And depending on how much we raise, means we get to do, go to different cities. Seems like a pretty clear-cut way to do it. Mm. So, you know, obviously the first part is focusing on Canadian cities because those are cheap for me. But there's a lot of American cities that I could do for not that much. There's um, Washington, D.C. I could do. There's New York. There's Boston. And potentially even Chicago. Uh, and that wouldn't be crazy expensive. Now, when you start getting to the West Coast, all of a sudden, you know, price starts shooting up there. <laughs> But, hey, you never know. Maybe there's, like, a wealthy patron out there who, once they see the show, are going to fucking flip out. Because I'm going uh, – I'm, I'm out to impress. Sort of like – going full Carson. I'm going fucking full Carson on this one. I just feel like the, the timing is right. I mean, especially when there's something as weak as Jimmy Fallon on TV. I feel like the timing is right for something that could just actually have value and substance. And, and actually be fun. And plus, I'm going to be doing some of the singing as well. And while you, while Ryan might be wondering how successful that'll be, I, my voice is nice and I can sing. So just sure. trust, just trust yes. me. Uh huh. Okay, see, doubters, skeptics. Yeah. Well, all the skeptics will be turned around on the show, and you will see with uh, my badass uh, abilities. <laughs> I'm not overselling it at all. Am I? <laughs> I'm in a lot of trouble. No, I think it's going to be great. And I think you guys are going to be excited. Imagine a pledge video that's actually a full episode. I think it's just going to be fun. And you guys are going to know what the audiobook is also going to sound like. Because if I can, although obviously I'm, I'm not going to make that promise because it's very unlikely. My dream is to have the entire audiobook be a, one that I read from various audiences. You see what I mean? Like so you yeah. can actually get the reaction and the laughter. That would be amazing. But... That would require like multiple tours in multiple cities with, you know, it'd be tough, let's just say. But a man can dream, can't he? Maybe that's... He can, yeah. and you do, large and big. I do. It's my falling and my, you know, something that's unique about me is that I just dream big and then I go for it. And then I accept failure when it inevitably happens. <laughs> but hey, you know, you just need one success, right? Isn't that how it is? For all your failures? Maybe. Oh, Maybe. Okay. Well, I, I mean, you need one major success. Let me reiterate that point. <laughs> Let me clarify. <laughs> you need to be really big once. 
and then you can be okay. Just don't destroy your life with drugs, kids. It's not, isn't that always how it ends in one of those behind the scenes shit? Everything was going good until they discovered drug B. Tisk tisk. Well, yeah, so stay away from that heroin. Yeah, I'm staying away from the white powders. I'm, I'm sticking to just alcohol and uh, weed. I think that's okay. I mean, it has destroyed many people. <laughs> but it's a l much longer ride than the uh, heroin's crystal meth uh, crocodile varieties of drugs. Stick to the drugs that slowly kill you. Not quickly. We, we, apparently, people want me kicking around, and I have two more books to produce, right? So i got to stay alive at least until they happen. And then, then you can curse me out. But, uh, yeah, so that's the plans for the, the, the short run. And I hope, you know, you guys are going to be excited. I think the show, I, I've got a plan for sometime in August because I've, you know, that's the closest I can get. And there's a bunch of Just for Last Festival that happens this month anyway, so you got to wait for that shit to be over. Although, you know, do you think if I'm on the tail end, I can pretend that I was in the Just for Last Festival? I can pull uh, that well, maybe you can pick up the uh, people who are just interested in going out around then who don't want to pay the $80 or, or, you know, buy the tickets as soon as, like, the second they get released to make sure that you get them. There's, you know, people who want to do things in the summer. That's true. That's true. And, um, you know, the tickets for the show are only going to be 5 bucks because I want to attract people to it, you know. Uh, for the first show, I'm just trying to cover my costs because I want people to be really excited about it. Uh, and it's tough for a first show to charge 10 bucks, is what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> You start, you start small. But I've got big ambitions for the show, and the people I'm working with are ridiculously talented. I mean, we have professional TV people. We have a pro band. The only person who's not pro is me. So that's, I'm the only weak link. <laughs> so if you, can, if you can accept that by listening to my shitty show, I think it'll be fine, right? It'll yeah. be fine. So hopefully when I give that date, maybe even a few Toronto people – uh, are going to be able to uh, make it for the show. We'll give enough time in advance for that and uh, try to get some of you down because, God damn it, do I need an audience? I need people laughing. I've, I've never heard any of your laughter in hundreds of shows. I'd like to change that, and I'm going to do that in a big way. So I think it's going to be fun. And uh, by the way, if anybody's asking, Ryan will not be seen because he hates that shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm behind the camera from now on. That's right. He's behind the camera, behind the microphone, at the very least. That's how he's feeling about it. And uh, so don't be surprised if you don't see his face. Although there, he may be uh, made into a mascot. No promises. You know, oh, boy. A cartoon mascot. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, you know, there has to be some presence of you, and it has to be an inflated balloon that is just no, a real doll that's been painted no, over. I've, I've, done, I've done quite well not slapping my face all over everything that I've done. But it won't be your well. face. It will be an avatar. Yeah. And you've, you've put uh, ridiculous pictures of me as avatars before, so I kind of owe you. Yeah, it wasn't me as, a, uh, as, uh, as that woman from, uh, from Scooby-Doo enough. That's true. That was maybe, maybe we're even. I'll think about it. You know, most people have not seen it, so. <laughs> More people will probably see the show, I'm hoping, than will see the brief cartoon that I couldn't keep up because I'm lazy. Oh, it's too much work, and I'm a bitch when it comes to that shit, anyways. All right. Speaking of uh, being a bitch, I think that, that we're going to bitch out. It's time to uh, call it quits on the show. We already have, like, an hour and something. We're pretty good. That's good. Yeah, that's a long show. And if you have a commute that's longer than that, 
or even a workout that's longer than that, you got to cut that shit down, man. One hour. Just keep it, uh, keep it brief. Anything longer than that, you're exhausting yourself. Or I think there was a study that found that you know if you the more time you spend on a commute, the less long you live. So your your long commute is literally killing you. Get out while you can. And live a long life as a do nothing hippie with long hair. Shit, that's what I'm doing. Don't do that. Only a small percentage of people can do that. <laughs> All right, with that, my name is Jacob Forte. And I'm Ryan Harkness. Have a good atheist day, everybody.